Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. We begin tonight marking yet another weekend of deadly gun violence across America. Our city's under siege. There's going to be multiple shooters. We cannot confirm how many. From Arizona to Philadelphia and Tennessee, mass shootings spiking at pandemic levels. What is at the heart of this wave of violence? They shot her. They shot her. Oh, my God, they shot her. Then a black woman in the crosshairs. Why are Kansas City police officers in the hot seat after unleashing a barrage of bullets and hitting the female subject five times? Where did things go wrong? This case was disgusting. First of all, our discussion breaks down the case of Liana Hale. Hustle and motivate. Choppers to throw away. Then hip hop's big court cases are underway. From Nipsey's killer to Young Thug's Rico Reckoning, we are opening the Revolt legal docket. Then Black Excellence celebrated in New York. From Mary J. Blige and Zendaya, I'm at the center of the red carpet action at the Time 100 Gala. All that and more as the Black News Revolution starts right now. I'm Naima Abdullahi. We begin with the mass shootings across the country from Arizona to Philadelphia. So what's behind this spike and what are the solutions? That's what special correspondent Rochelle Ritchie explores in tonight's top story. Another mass shooting in America. Hundreds flee for their lives on the streets of Philadelphia as gunshots stemming from a street fight leave three dead and a dozen injured. For many across the country, nowhere feels safe. A nightclub in Arizona, graduation parties in South Carolina and Texas, a funeral in Kentucky, and a nightclub in Chattanooga, Tennessee, the city's second mass shooting in just a month. There's going to be multiple shooters. We cannot confirm how many. Very scary, very scary. You don't know when it's going to happen. As America's towns and cities are besieged, seemingly every newscast leads with this. We begin tonight marking yet another weekend of deadly gun violence. The deadly weekend tally across the country, 10 mass shootings, 17 dead and 60 injured. After Buffalo, Uvalde, you know, here, right here, we have to do something. With more than 120 guns for every 100 people in America, citizens plead for some kind of reform. During warm-ups for Game 2 of the NBA Finals, players from both teams wearing T-shirts that read, End Gun Violence. Each day, Americans are dealing with gun violence that does not make national news. The recent gun violence saturating the headlines neglects the fact that mass shootings result in less than 1% of the 45,000-plus gun deaths per year. Over three days, more than 50 people were shot in Chicago. Most of those shootings unfolding on the south and west sides. Chicago recorded its deadliest Memorial Day weekend in five years, with officers recovering 75 guns in just one day. Every day was every stop, almost everyone had a gun in the car. 
gun violence disproportionately affects the black community, especially in cities like Detroit and Chicago. According to the CDC, African Americans are at least 12 times more likely to be killed by a gun than a white person. The violence that we saw there and everywhere else were mostly personal conflicts resolved with guns, arguments, petty arguments, senseless violence. Here to join me for a deeper look at what's going on in the streets of Philly are Ernest Owens, author of The Case for Cancel Culture, and Janae Robinson, dean owner of Marsh and Maine, located on South Street, just a few feet away from where these shots were fired. Now, Ernest, I want to start with you first. Philly is now being labeled one of the deadliest cities in the country. Why do you think this case, though, is getting attention from media and politicians? South Street has a history in Philadelphia and across the country as being a major place of entertainment, arts and culture, um, real estate and everything else. And so um, to see something like this happen, especially during a weekend that many people are going out to kick off the summer, um, definitely is triggering and very much so newsworthy, I guess, to people outside of Philly. This has been going on for a while. It's happening in major uh, cities all across the country. Um, I think this particular incident is getting the attention because of the location. It's, it's a tourist location, but not only is it a tourist location, the residential neighborhoods that sandwich this street are two of the wealthiest zip codes in the city of Philadelphia. But some people might say that that makes sense for this to get that kind of attention because it is a heavily populated area with tourists. And maybe it's not necessarily just because it's happening, you know, in the white area as opposed to the black area. What would you say to those people, Ernest? Um, I think that capitalism oftentimes dictate concern, unfortunately, right? You know, in Philadelphia, we are the poorest major city in America. And so you really cannot separate income and race because they go hand in hand in the city. Um, areas that are predominantly white also have a larger yield of money. So if there is gun violence in predominantly white areas or areas where there's lots of income, then that is where the media oftentimes shifts their concern nationwide. Um, there were 14 people who got shot um, last weekend, um, weekend before that. Um, last year was the one of the most deadliest years we've had in decades. And yet, you know, South Street gets hit, it becomes a national concern. And mm -hmm. so I think a lot of that cannot be ignored within capitalism and race in this country. Now, when we talk about mass shootings, we know that mass shootings is when four or more people are shot out, outside of, obviously, um, the shooter. We know that is what a mass shooting is uh, defined as. But oftentimes, when you hear about crime happening in black communities where black people are getting shot in more than four, it's not labeled a mass shooting. So, Janae, do you think that how something is labeled uh, determines how serious people actually take that crime? Absolutely. Um, because if we just say, like Ernest mentioned, 15 people were killed over one weekend in Philadelphia. Again, it should be something that we're more alarmed about, um, but it, it's not news anymore. And people are becoming desensitized to this type of information. Those should also be considered mass shootings if we're looking at it in that way. And the fact that the shooting happened on South Street, this is not new to South Street as well. There was um, another shooting on South Street um, earlier this week. People should 
be talking about this on a more national level. When this was a crisis in Chicago, when this was going on in Baltimore, you heard about it all over the news. The same thing is happening here in Philadelphia. What do you think it will take to make black safety a priority, whether it's politicians or within the black community itself? Um, I think for starters, it's going to really take a more nuanced approach um, that can't be put in the hands of only elected officials, but can't only be put in the hand of the community. I think too often Black people are oftentimes treated as if these are problems that only we have to wrestle with without looking at the people that our taxpayer dollars go to. And so I think there needs to be a situation where government is not talking at us, and we are not only in a position of vulnerability and obligation only to their policies. So it's going to take and require a real 360 approach that inquire, involves the community adding input, that there is negotiations at the table, that there is a process that's more diplomatic than simply elected officials making solutions, testing them on our community. When they fail, they just go back to the drawing board and we're just there sitting around waiting. That needs to change. As a community, we have to just find it within ourselves to say, okay, you know, we, we know what we've been experiencing. We know that we, we are hurt, we are heartbroken, but let's rally together. What can we do to um, start to make some change? And when politicians see um, that we are doing this, unfortunately, this is one of those things that happens. When they see some movement and some things begin to happen, then they believe that this is an issue that they should then pay attention to. Janae and Ernest, thank you so much for joining us. As we talk about gun violence, we are tracking the Los Angeles trial of Eric Holder, the alleged gunman in the Nipsey Hussle murder. Now, jury selection is underway in Los Angeles, and the details behind his defense is what kicks off this week's Revolt Legal Docket. They just started the trial finally after three young, long years of us waiting. Right now, um, I, they should be finished with jury selection at this point, because that started last week. Hustle and motivate. Choppers and throw away. The rapper and entrepreneur was allegedly shot 10 times by Holder, an acquaintance on March 31st, 2019, in front of Hustle's South LA clothing store, The Marathon. This defense is gonna be very difficult because of all the witnesses and cameras and things that they have. Holder, 32, faces life in prison if convicted of first degree murder. He has pled not guilty. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. They're pleading now that basically he wasn't all the way there, so he didn't have the mental capacity to premeditate this murder, which would drop it down from a first degree to maybe like a second degree or a manslaughter or something like that. For those reasons in the aggregate, um, I'm going to deny bond at this time. Fulton County Judge Ural Glanville denied bond for YSL rapper Young Thug, whose legal name is Jeffrey Lamar Williams. Williams, who was arrested in May as part of a sweeping gang indictment that also included 27 others, is accused of violating the RICO Act and criminal gang activity. The conditions that are being placed upon him, Mr. Williams is living under are detrimental to his mental health. Williams attorney Brian Steele proposed house arrest, claiming his client, who listened virtually to the proceedings, is cut off from the outside world while in solitary confinement. But the judge considered alleged past statements of witness intimidation in his ruling. His concern was that Thug is a danger, right, to the community because 
there's these witnesses that are saying like, if we come to testify, you know, we've been threatened that he will kill us or, you know, people will come up missing. So with that being said, we're gonna have to hold you unless you could come up with a better reason why I should let you go ahead and go home for a little bit. And of course, we'll be following these cases closely. Keep it right here. There's more Revolt Black News Weekly coming up next. Welcome back. We turn our attention to Kansas City and the police department there, now accused of shooting a black woman five times after her vehicle was pulled over. While Liana Hill survived the shooting, there are more questions about whether or not she was carrying a weapon during that stop. And now, Missouri's black community is calling for action and answers as the controversy grows. Our community is hurt. We are hurting. We are traumatized. Community activists in Kansas City, Missouri, calling for answers following the May 27th police shooting of 26-year-old Liana Hale. They shot her. Oh, my God, they shot her. Oh, my God, they shot her. What is not in dispute is that Liana and a male friend were driving in a car allegedly involved in a carjacking. The Kansas City, Missouri officers spotted this vehicle. A very good description was given along with the license plate, along with two suspects. After pulling into a dollar store parking lot, the man fled and was later apprehended. Police claim Liana exited the vehicle, waved a gun, and advanced towards them, discharging her weapon. They responded by shooting her five times. They shot her, y'all, they shot her. I watched it all. Y'all, please, they shot her. Liana was taken to the hospital, treated and released on a $2,500 bond. She now faces charges including unlawful firearm possession and resisting arrest. While police have yet to release the body cam footage to public, they have issued a still taken from the footage that allegedly shows Liana with a gun. Show us the body cam. People are complaining online that, they, that some of the photos was altered or doctored. I'm just telling you what the people are saying in the community. I think any claim that's suggesting that the police department, the highway patrol, the mayor, anybody else who's seen this video is lying is, is ridiculous. But Pastor Timothy Hayes says that while Liana's claims of pregnancy are not true and that she was likely involved in criminal behavior, she should not have been shot five times. We know the system has flaws and we hope and we pray that everything that they're presenting us is the truth. If the facts do come out and the videos are released and there's anything that is not a part of the original story, um, we do plan and we will uh, expose all injustice. Here to join me are social justice journalist Lisa Durden and Jasmine Woodson, coordinator for Blexit. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us. Let's get right into it. So we often hear cases involving the police like Eric Gardner, Dante Wright, often dehumanizing the victim. Why is that tactic uh, important for police to use? I want to start with you, Jasmine. Um, I don't feel like it's important for the police to use that. I feel like that's something that the media does. Um, a lot of it is a play on our emotions, especially as Black people. We tend to think more emotionally than logically. So I partially agree with Ms. Jasmine, which is that 
no matter what the person's background is, it has absolutely do, nothing to do with how they should be treated by the police. But I disagree with her that the media is creating an issue with the police officers and the so-called suspects in their pawns. Police officers are not victims. They're the victimizers, especially whenever they're doing things to black people, particularly black women. For example, videos don't create pawns. When the media hears about these cases, it's not before the fact, it's after the fact. The way in which the media reports it has nothing to do with the hard, cold facts. This case about this woman, Leona, was disgusting. First of all, this young lady, as she was trying to run from the cops, screamed that she was pregnant. This woman could have been lying about her pregnancy or not. They don't know. I came to find out later on that one of the reverends who, who her family works with said that they, he did determine that she was not. But that's not the point. The white police had no sensitivity to it. And what was more disgusting is the cops shot her. She was bleeding out on the ground, and they never immediately called any medical attention for her. Why? Because her black life does not matter, particularly black women's lives. Lisa, you know, as, as we're talking about this case specifically, uh, by putting out Liana's criminal history, media and police have created an image right. of who she is. Uh, Jasmine, do you think her criminal past changes public opinion of this police-involved shooting? No, I do not. I feel like seeing the body cam footage with the Leona Hill, I feel like that should um, stop a lot. Uh, that's go like a lot of the anger that uh, Black people have towards... No, here's the misinformation. They never once released the body cam footage. They released a screenshot of an image of Leona supposedly wielding a gun and all of that. Now, listen, I'm an award-winning filmmaker. I shoot content constantly. I use screen grabs all the time to promote my projects. And whenever I do, a, do screen grabs, I don't see images missing. The first order of business is, if you're not lying, release the body cam footage. Jasmine, let me ask you, in cases like this, do police get a bad rap? Um, yeah, because of the media. But at the same time, I just want to add, um, I did a little research on this case prior uh, to this right here. And I've seen that they said that the reason, their reasoning as to why I think it was the police chief is because the video was blurry. They were moving the whole time. So you're, I don't, I, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but just since you're a film award-winning uh, producer, I don't know, um, you also know that a lot of things are like, or can be orchestrated to make, to look like something. Like a lot of people say the George Floyd incident didn't happen how it did, but you know, the media controls a lot of things. They control what we see and how we see it. Um, a lot of these shootings uh, that have a lot of attention, I feel are false flags. I don't see the point of us seeing us as normal civilians who are not involved in the case, seeing the body cam footage, because what are we going to do? That's trauma porn to black people. The reason why you're so upset and you have all this anger against the police, because you see this stuff constantly. I, I'm really, um, but you, can't Jasmine, Jasmine. Why I'm angry. you don't know me, young lady. You don't know me. I'm you can't sorry. say that. So well, talk about just, yourself. You know, I just don't, I don't get into a lot of the trigger words. You don't know me. Please stay in your lane. Lisa, I... I That's what I can't stand. Finish. Black people call black women angry when we have passion. I don't I watch... Anger. I don't I watch drama porn. But I damn well am a journalist, and I damn well am a filmmaker who makes sure I do films that relate to issues in our community, and I'm not going to act like I don't see what I see when I see it. Uh, Lisa, we actually ran out of time for this conversation. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Jasmine, for chiming in. We appreciate your time.
It's the most tragic event, horrific. I don't want to talk about what we see or what we hear happens in America. That is the grieving community in Southwest Nigeria after gunmen opened fire and set off explosives during a Sunday church service. Welcome back. At least 50 people are believed to be killed in that attack, including several children, according to local officials. It happened at St. Francis Catholic Church in Nigeria's Ondo State. Our hearts do go out to that community during this tragic time. And this is just one of our global headlines as we explore being black all over the world. The push for Titan security has reached an all-time high as a mass shooting hits one of Nigeria's most peaceful states. Officials say the state of Ondo is in the center of rising violent conflict between farmers and herders. Attackers target... If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Did the St. Francis Catholic Church just as worshipers gathered on Sunday? Many world leaders have responded to the attack, including Pope Francis. Next up, we head to Russia, where WNBA star Brittany Griner remains in custody for more than 100 days on a drug smuggling charge. The push to bring Brittany home grows as her colleagues break their silence. Here in the States, the Boston Celtics are showing the two-time Olympic gold medalist solidarity during the NBA Finals. Free BG, man. We're here. We're here for it. We're staying with her. Players were rocking the We Are BG shirts during their recent practice. On the back of the shirt was a QR code for change.org that's demanding her safe return to the U.S. We wanted to come out and show our support um, for Brittany Griner. She's been over there for an extended amount of time and we feel like enough is enough. The support also comes out of L.A., where Laker LeBron James showed her support. Our next stop, the war in Ukraine. African countries continue to be the victims of the war as it impacts food inflation in the continent, sparking an ongoing global food crisis. Russian President Vladimir Putin recently met with the head of the African Union. Many African countries depend on food imports from Russia and Ukraine. The sanctions placed on Russia have caused the rising prices. Putin stated that Russia has, quote, always been on Africa's side as he opens up conversation to explore solutions. And in Haiti, the many layers of the country's humanitarian crisis continue to unfold. The U.N. now calculates that nearly 200 people have died from the surging gang violence in Haiti's capital last month and that thousands more have been displaced. As rival gangs clashed, leading to violence in the streets, hundreds of families have been caught in the crossfire, desperately leaving their communities and fleeing for safety. Humanitarian organizations say the number of casualties could be much higher. The nation has been desperately struggling for years. The Haitian diaspora continues to call for help from the international community. Stick around, we'll be right back. I'm special correspondent Rochelle Ritchie, back with a conversation about the decision average citizens make to record law enforcement doing their jobs. So at what point do you stop, and is it your right to keep recording? Hey, you ain't supposed to smack him like that. The f*** is wrong with you? Hey, I got all that shit on camera. What's your name, bro? 
You may have heard that you have the right to film the police. But what exactly does that mean? You're under arrest. Okay. For black Americans, video has documented and brought to light abuses by those sworn to protect since the civil rights era. With the invention of the camcorder, everyday citizens began to record encounters with police, giving us the video vigilante. Today, the power to record is in the hands and pockets of virtually every member of the public, and bystander video has not only held the powerful accountable, what is y'all doing? What are y'all doing? What is y'all doing? It's launched global movements. So tell the jury what you observed happening there at the scene. I can't breathe, please get off of me. I can't breathe. He, he cried for his mom. He was in pain. It seemed like he knew. While body camera use is increasing, just seven states have mandated them for law enforcement, and much of the video will never be made public. For Samaritans and citizen journalists, filming and posting the police is a matter of civic duty. In all, 50 states' First Amendment protections allow filming of police in the course of duty in public spaces. Video may not be confiscated or deleted without a warrant and orders to cease filming need only be followed if they interfere with the work of officers. But is it ever our responsibility to do more than hit record? There are those like NYC Mayor Eric Adams who say the public needs to stay back. If an officer is on the ground wrestling with someone that has a gun, they should not have to worry about someone standing over them with a camera. Stop being on top of my police officers while they're carrying out their jobs. That is not acceptable and it won't be tolerated. And lawmakers in states like Arizona have introduced new legislation that would subject video vigilantes to arrest. I need your ID. I refuse to give you my ID. Bill is about protecting the safety of police officers and citizens who would videotape them. As the issue of stepping back or stepping in grows more complex, when it comes to filming the police, knowledge is power. With us now, we have conservative activist and president of the Legacy Republican Alliance, Corinne Raikin, and author, actor, and filmmaker, Tariq Nasheed. Thank you both for joining the conversation. Tariq, I want to start with you. Why do you think people feel the need to record police officers that actually have body cams and dash cameras at their disposal? People right now feel a need to record these police officers because we've seen so much corruption within these police agencies. We know, according to the FBI and other sources, that there are confirmed white supremacist groups that have infiltrated law enforcement. And the people who are supposed to be protecting us are people who we have to keep an eye on because they are perpetrating many of the crimes. So we can't trust them to release a lot of the footage of some of the things that they capture on their own body cams. So it's up to the citizens to do the policing. And this is why it's very important for us to film these police officers and their actions. Karen, what is your response to Tariq saying that it is up to the citizens to sort of take policing into their own hands? Well, if you look at it in terms of community policing, I think that everybody in the community have a responsibility to ensure justice. We should not be discouraging any member of our community from doing what they're rightfully allowed to do, and that's to film police officers in action. Because as uh, your other guest, Tariq, said that sometimes, you know, I wouldn't say that the police would be corrupt or 
or you know intentionally not give body camera but sometimes something some things do tend to happen nothing is foolproof and sometimes the body cameras aren't on they're not working so more information more videos anything that will help the jury make a determination is always the best interest of justice do you think that some people think it's even worth it though? Because we've seen plenty of situations where people are recording the police. You have the police they have on their, their body cams, the dash cam, and they still get away with it. Should we still continue uh, sort of this citizen sort of policing that we're starting to see despite the fact that we don't always see this go in the way of justice for black Americans? You know, it's very important to film because if you look at a lot of very high profile protests and movements, they were started because people were filming police doing the wrong thing. You go back to Rodney King, that whole situation started with the LA uprising because of somebody filming the police and the police didn't know they were being filmed. Walter Scott out there in South Carolina, the race soldier who killed him, he didn't know he was being filmed. That was a citizen filming him. And that led to that person getting convicted eventually. With Eric Garner in New York, he was being filmed by citizens, even though they didn't punish that race soldier who did it, there was a large movement and there was a large galvanization of people hitting the streets and there was a movement of people trying to produce justice. So I think it's, and, and it's very important to record, even though we don't get the justice that we wanna get in many cases, it's still important for us to go out here and film to let people know what's happening. Now, Tariq, this discussion, the subject of this discussion is a little bit personal for you because you've actually been in this situation. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, there was a situation recently out here near my office in California, Los Angeles. I saw a situation where there was a black man who was hemmed up by the police. Um, it was clear that the brother didn't commit a crime because they didn't detain him and they didn't have their guns pointed at him directly, but they were surrounding this brother. I felt it was my civic duty to intervene and try to de-escalate the situation, which is what I did. Found out later that the person involved was a rapper named Designer. Um, he even got on um, some of the uh, media platforms and, and basically said that I pretty much saved him in that situation, which again, I didn't know it was him, but I saw a black person who was in potential danger and I wanted to come in and film things to make sure that there was transparency, make to make sure that that, that brother would not be harmed and make sure that everything was gonna be calm. I think we all have a duty to do that because again, um, when it comes to black people, sometimes they're, they magically turn their cameras off or they magically don't have their cameras working. So there's too many coincidences that come along with them policing us. So this is why it's important for us to go out here and make sure that they're doing the right thing. And in cases like George Floyd, Eric Garner, bystanders uh, recorded a lot of what happened and that spread a lot of awareness about uh, police brutality. As Tariq, as Tariq was saying, bystanders do have a duty to sort of intervene, but could we sometimes see uh, bystanders escalate the situation because of their own emotional um, feelings about what they're witnessing? Absolutely. I do think that people for their own safety and the safety of everyone involved should maintain a safe distance um, and not intervene. I can understand. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off? Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. And that, you know, 
emotions do get high and you want to, you know, your, your innate feeling is to want to jump in, but to maintain the safety for yourself and for everyone involved, you should maintain a safe distance. And, you know, in cases like George Floyd, you know, it had to be really hard on the people who were filming the fact that they stood there and wanted to do something and essentially, you know, did nothing actionable but film that was incredibly important and that must be hard on them to have to relive that in their mind over and over so i'm very thankful for people who you know stand by at a safe distance and film well corinne i know that you represent uh the republicans which is interesting to sort of hear your take on this because statewide uh, there's been laws introduced in Arizona, Florida, and Oregon to restrict or limit the public's ability to film police, and some of that's being pushed by Republicans. It's, for instance, under the proposed law in Arizona, the people who captured videos of George Floyd and Eric Garner would be arrested. So should uh, police be allowed to order members of the public to stop filming them and then turn around and arrest them? Absolutely not. You know, I heard the mayor of New York refer to the police officers as my officers. And, you know, they do not belong to him. They belong to the community. They're there to protect and serve the community. And if Arizona you know, lawmakers, I'm, I'm a California Republican. We don't have laws like that. And if there were as a Republican, I would be adamantly opposed to that. I am always standing for what's in the best interest of justice. I don't stand on either side. I'm for body cameras uh, for the police to wear them. I'm for the public to film at a safe distance of police officers carrying out their duty. Now, Tariq, there are some times where people that do what you did get bullied on the back end because I feel there was an that that sort of happened with the, the woman that recorded George Floyd, where when people found out who she was, she started to be harassed and different things like that. So how do people protect themselves and their, their identity when they're trying to do the right thing and protecting people from any form of police brutality? Great question. And when we look in, at history, a lot of people who record police brutality and police misconduct, they've always been targeted. Going back to Rodney King, the man who recorded Rodney King, he was targeted. Going to New York, the man who record, recorded Eric Garner, he got punished by police and they were unjustly locking him up. The man who recorded Walter Scott getting killed, they targeted him. They were throwing him in and out of jail. So that happens a lot. Um, this is why it's important for many of us to be involved with the community, to have a lot of grassroots support. We have to look at it as, hey, as a community, we have to look out for each other. We have to protect each other. And sometimes doing the right thing might be dangerous, but that's part of the, the, the assignment. All right, well, Corinne, Tariq, I wanna thank you for joining us here on Revolt Black News Weekly. Thank you again so much for being with us. Welcome back, I'm Kennedy Rue with all the headlines jump-starting this week's entertainment remix, beginning with the culture showing up and showing out for Time's 100 red carpet in the Big Apple. And I was front and center for all the black joy. When you were first getting started, grinding with your head down, doing the work, did you ever envision this? I never envisioned Time Magazine um, when I was you know, when you're younger, you see, like, the president, you know, in all these gigantic moguls on the cover of Time magazine, and you never dream. That's, that's not something I ever thought of. But I know I worked hard enough to, and, and, you know, and mentally, spiritually, physically, to have it. You know, so I'm grateful. From Mary J. Blige to Zendaya to Ariana DeBose, I'm at the center of it all at the Time 100 Gala. What advice do you have to give to your younger self or girls like you? Don't live for people, live for yourself. 
This is one of the most diverse lists of honorees at the Time 100 Gala, especially when it comes to black trends and culture. This is an awesome honor. All the work that you've done throughout your career, I mean, where does this rank? Um, you know, every day is a winding road and there's a new adventure around the corner. Every day is a, a, a miracle, either like someone that I idolized as a kid is cold calling me and I'm like, okay, Jimmy, are you playing a joke on me? The blessings keep coming and I'm happy. You wrote about Candace Parker in this year's issue. You talked about her impact on young women. I love how fearless she is of going for what it is she wants. When speaking about parenting in this climate, you talked about being fearful for your daughter's safety. I think a lot of black parents can relate to that fear. I have a black daughter, I have a trans daughter, um, and also shooting is going in schools. I wake up mornings and I, and I see the attacks on, on our young trans youth. Um, and I'm watching a world that's trying to close the book on this conversation. This microphone, this platform allows that book to stay open and I'll continue to use our voices. And then there's out playwright and Tony frontrunner Michael R. Jackson. His Broadway hit musical A Strange Loop about a gay overweight black man is this year's hot ticket with 11 Tony nods. It's like a, a dream come true to my 12-year-old self who felt the least influential of anybody he knew. So. Hey, hey. Album of the year, ladies and gentlemen. After just winning five Grammys, my influential friend, John Baptiste, is on a mission. I think it's important for people to see that there are other things than the division and the the drama and the apathy and the, the darkness. The darkness is real, but I think we have to really work to show that there's good in the world. There's still good in the world. That sparks more of it. It creates more. It, it multiplies. As creators, we move the soul of people. I'm coming out tonight. Lizzo and her man make it red carpet official. It's about damn time. Wearing a pink mini dress and matching gloves, the Grammy winner and her stand-up comedian boyfriend Mike Wright made their first big public debut at the FYC event for Lizzo's new Amazon reality series. And Revolt's very own DJ Effin is back with his latest adventure. One half of the dynamic duo on Drink Champ stepped into the entertainment remix, delivering a sneak peek at Coming Home South Africa. Once I decided I was gonna make a series, I was gonna make six films, and this was gonna cap the six. And I felt like it was just important to go to Africa. To me, that is, that is the motherland of humanity, the motherland of culture, you know, hip hop, it's gonna go there. One more entertainment note. We pause for a moment to remember the life and legacy of Atlanta-based rapper Trouble, who was cut down in the prime of his life at 34 at what's being described as a domestic incident. Just last week, I was with Trouble at P. Thomas's Black Ball. Little did I know it would be one of his last interviews. This wouldn't be nothing without getting her. You know what I'm saying? Oh, God. But I'm going to tell you this about what Trouble's saying, too. Like, Atlanta's bred on that, though. And giving back is what all of us do. Revolt captured one of Trouble the Rapper's final moments alongside Kenny Burns just days before his death.
And before the rising star left our interview, the 34-year-old delivered this final message. No matter how far you get, you reach yeah. back. Yeah. Always reaching back into his Georgia community was Trouble's main approach with his music. Came from that and finally made it to the main. I'm from the hood, Edgewood. But like, as far as ripping it, it, it wasn't nobody who came from outside like that who, who could even be talking about it that could go hard, you know what I'm saying? So it definitely would need it. So it's no surprise that that's where it would also come to a tragic end while visiting the Atlanta home of a female friend. Uh, upon deputy's arrival, um, they observed the male, black male, lying on the ground suffering from a gunshot wound. Um, unfortunately, the uh, victim did die on the scene. Um, we do have a suspect. His name is Jamichael Jones. I don't play no games. Known for his down-to-earth approach when producing and collaborating with musicians like Drake, Def Jam Records tweeted Trouble's legacy. A true voice for his city and an inspiration to the community he proudly represented. Our deepest condolences to his family, friends, and fans. And Naima, I know you were familiar with Trouble. How will he be remembered? Right now, the industry is remembering him as an artist. The city of Atlanta is remembering him by his nickname, Scoob. But to his hometown of Edgewood, where he grew up, he's being remembered as a hometown legend who made it out. Someone who lived by the motto, stack, pray, and stay out the way. Absolutely. When we come back, our revolutionary of the week. Welcome back. Before we go, we are shining a spotlight on the father and son duo making unapologetic efforts to ease police and community relations in our black neighborhoods. Star Logan Ryan and his law enforcement father have an approach that combines gridiron skills and on-the-job street smart. That's right. Their tactics to help other officers be more relatable in the urban communities is what caught our attention at the same time, making them our revolutionaries of the week. On the field, Tampa Bay Bucks cornerback Logan Ryan isn't shy about stepping in to make a play. Logan Ryan gonna take this one for a touchdown. It's something he learned off the field from his first coach, his father, former police officer, Lester Logan. Before I was ever an athlete, I was a son to this man, Lester Ryan, who was a police officer of 26 years, who did have a, a great record, who did do his job and protect the community. Uh, minority community in Camden, New Jersey. So that's just what I know, that's just my life. After the killing of George Floyd, the two-time Super Bowl champion says he was moved to use his platform to make change. I was lobbying for the George Floyd bill in, in Congress and Senate. I was really advocated to, to speak up for my people, to speak up for the wrongdoings in this country, but to do more than just tweet. So I thought instead of asking for change, to be a part of the change. And I asked my father to come out of retirement as a former police officer and to get some of the best cops he knows to go train other police officers how to do a better job. Together, the two founded Ryan Alternative Solutions Training, teaching safer use of force and de-escalation techniques to law enforcement. For the Ryans, better policing starts with respect and engagement. Police need to get back involved with the community, being there at that softball game or that soccer game or that football game and being the coach so kids can relate to you on that level. We've been at working with New York PD for the last few months. They're the seventh biggest police department in the world. And for me as a minority person to walk in there and demonstrate what we do and for them to say yes, 
We need to learn that. To me, that's a compliment in itself. Giving officers a greater sense of accountability for what goes on inside their departments. Police officers are just people. They're not robots. They're not superheroes. They're gonna have prejudice. They're gonna have racist attitudes, just like the normal citizens. So it's up to the individuals who see something going wrong as a police officer to say something. Your character is your character. If you see prejudice in your workspace, it's not the victim's responsibility to report it, it's everybody's responsibility. So we have to all look at each other and says, I can't allow that to happen. I should have said something when George Floyd was being knelt on on a knee to his neck. That's just common sense. That's something that I've been training officers to do for the last 30 years. Experience the father-son duo say they're taking nationwide. Companies like ours are up and coming. Up and coming. We're breaking down doors. We're a minority-run police training company, and we're breaking on doors with the biggest police department in the United States, and we're bringing change there. And we're going to try to bring it to more and more cities. So hopefully this story gets shared, the story gets retweeted, the story gets watched. You can comment what you feel about it. But we're trying to be somebody to go make difference for our community. Each one teach one for a hopefully peaceful bridge when it comes to policing and the communities they serve. Absolutely love that story. That does it for us. We'll see everybody next time. Bye now. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.